Our scripture uh, for the sermon this morning comes from Matthew chapter 13. We've been in Matthew 13 for the last couple of weeks. If you uh, find it in your pew Bible, you can find Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse uh, 44 on page 819, 819. So I'll give you a second to find it. Again, Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. Let's stand and read scripture together. Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. This is the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. This is Jesus speaking. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You may be seated. Let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. So we've been looking these past couple weeks uh, at the, the parables of Jesus. And mostly we've really just been staying in Matthew chapter 13 because it's one of these places where you have uh, a huge uh, concentration of these, these special uh, modes of teaching that Jesus used, these special uh, uh, stories, uh, these metaphors, these, uh, these comparisons that bring out something about Uh, the kingdom of God, something about um, uh, God's power that's breaking into the world, uh, that that broke into the world in a special way with the coming of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't just reveal something about the kingdom. When it speaks of the kingdom, uh, Jesus is also speaking, of course, about the king himself, uh, the king in control of the kingdom. And so the question I want to start with uh, this week as we just look at these really three short verses, is um, have you ever thought how much heaven would cost? I mean, if you're, if you're going to go buy salvation in a store, let's say, uh, if you had to put a price tag on it, what would, what would you write on the price tag? I mean, it seems like kind of a crass way of thinking about the kingdom of God, right? It seems like a crass way of thinking about salvation. But that's exactly what Jesus does in this passage, he's, he's telling us exactly how much it costs to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. He's telling us exactly what it's worth to find God as your father. Now, as I said, Jesus has been teaching about uh, the kingdom of God, about the power of God breaking into our world. And, and all throughout human history, uh, it was a story of anticipation. But when, when is God going to break in? When is God going to send his servant to make everything right? And it it was the the first act was all anticipation. And now the second act that begun with the coming of Jesus Christ and will end with his second coming is, is it's all about fulfillment. So it's anticipation all the way up to the coming of Christ. And now the second act 
in the story of God's kingdom is all about fulfillment. And we said also that, that the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about is something uh, that it's started to break into this world, but it hasn't fully come yet. That the kingdom is at hand, like John the Baptist said, that it's close, that it's near, that it's breaking in, but it hasn't finished breaking in and won't fully break in until the day when Jesus comes back and makes all things right. That it, it's almost uh, like the way the sun comes up over the horizon. Uh, when you look at the sun, if you ever try to wake up and, and watch the sunrise, you see that you know, the sun's here. There's this moment when the, the sun's here, you can see the sun, but it hasn't really fully risen yet. Where there's still that kind of purple light on the horizon. And that, that's the time that we live in. And this time where the kingdom of God is here, but it's still coming. It's a time of fulfillment, yes, but it's also a time of uh, still a little bit of anticipation as we wait and as we watch and we hope for his return. So that's where we are. That's what Jesus has been talking about here in these, uh, these past couple verses that we've been looking at. And now, it, almost as a little aside, he gives these two little stories to his disciples. Notice that it, this, uh, this passage comes right at the end of Jesus explaining the parable of the wheat and the tares to his disciples. So remember, Jesus told them about the parable of the sower, and then his disciples said, that's really confusing. Let's ask Jesus what the heck that means. And so he hung out with his friends afterwards, and they said, uh, tell us, can you explain what the story means? And, and he explained to them. And then he tells the story of the wheat and the tares. And again, they were like, this seems like a pretty important story. Let's ask Jesus what this means. And he takes them aside. It says uh, that he goes into a house. Uh, with his disciples. This is what it says in, in verse 36, 13, 36. He left the crowds. Okay, so he's left the crowds. He's taught them. And now he's going into the house and he's hanging out with his disciples and he's explaining to them exactly what he means. So this, this parable is for the disciples. So the audience for this message is Jesus' kind of inner circle that's been witnessing everything that he said and done, but they've left everything to follow him. And this is what he tells them. He says the kingdom of heaven is, is like a man stumbling across treasure. The kingdom of heaven, uh, this power of God that's breaking into the world, when you find it, it's like a merchant who's been looking his whole life for that perfect pearl and he's finally found it. And so in this passage, in these stories, what we learn is that we see um, both the incredible preciousness of the kingdom of God we see the preciousness and the value of the kingdom and the king. But then we also see the, the incredible cost of becoming a citizen in the kingdom. To put it another way, uh, in these two stories, what we see is first that Jesus is a king of unparalleled value. He's a king of unparalleled worth, of incomparable worth. But also he's a king who demands unconditional devotion. So first, let's, let's just look at that first point, that, that Jesus is a king of unparalleled value. Where, where, where do you see this in the passage? Well, we've got the image of the treasure, don't we? That's, that's the first image. Jesus gives, he tells the same story essentially two different ways, using two different images. The first image is the one of the treasure. And you see how the story goes. A man who's working in a field finds some treasure. He just stumbles across it. He's not looking for treasure. He's just in a field. We're, we're, we assume that he's 
a worker, a hired hand that's there in the field. It's obvious he doesn't own the field. But he stumbles across this treasure that someone's buried. And this is a fairly common thing that would happen in, uh, in Jesus' time. Because, as you remember, the, the, um, in Jesus' time, uh, the region around Jerusalem and that, that part of the Middle East was under Roman occupation. So you had all these armies that would come through and raid people's houses. And so if you had valuables, what you would do, because there wasn't a bank, well, the bank was kind of controlled by the Romans if there was one, so you would take all your valuables and you'd bury it in your yard. So you'd take all your treasure, you'd take everything that was uh, valuable and precious to you, everything that you have, and you'd put it, bury it in your yard. That was your bank. Uh, I heard this incredible story this past week um, uh, on the internet and where you find incredible stories all the time <laughs> of this couple in California. They're walking along on their property and uh, on the edge of a path, they're walking with their dog. They see uh, what looks like a coffee can sticking out of the ground and they go, oh, I wonder what, what that, what that's doing there. And they dug it up and inside this old coffee can was millions of dollars of gold coins, mint condition gold coins that were minted during the gold rush in the late 1800s in, in California. So someone, just, just like the landowner in this parable, had taken their gold, taken their valuables, and said, I don't trust that bank. I'm going to bury it in the ground. And obviously had died and left it. And this couple just stumbled upon it. Can you imagine their joy? Can you imagine their surprise? I mean, it doesn't take a genius, it doesn't take an expert to know that a coffee can full of uh, several hundred-year-old gold coins is a valuable thing. In the same way, uh, this man, who just seems like an ordinary worker, uh, stumbles across this treasure and he immediately recognizes it uh, as something of incredible value. And he says, I've got to have it. I've got to do whatever it takes to get that treasure. I don't know how much money and effort and time it would have taken for a, uh, a person who's just an ordinary field hand to raise the money to buy this field. But he says, this, this treasure's worth everything. I have to have it. And so that's the first picture. That this treasure, the treasure of the kingdom of God, the treasure of the king, it, anyone can see its value. Any ordinary, unschooled uh, person can recognize, if they, if they really see it, if they really encounter it, they'll see that it's of incomparable value. That's the first picture. Now let's look at the second picture, the, the picture of the pearl. And Jesus said, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who is in search of great pearls. We're assuming he's a, a pearl merchant. Now, what you should know is in Jesus' time, a pearl was just about the most valuable single thing that anyone could own. Right In our time, we might think of a diamond as being especially valuable, especially precious. But a pearl at that time was way more valuable than any kind of gem. And so this man, we could think of him as a diamond merchant, a diamond expert. Right. Someone who if you bring a diamond to him, I'm not a diamond expert. So if I see a diamond, the only way I'm impressed by it is if I see that it's like really, really big. You know, that looks like a pretty expensive diamond because it's, you know, the size of a softball. But a real expert, a a real diamond uh, connoisseur, you know what he does? 
he gets out the little eye thing, you know, and he looks at it. Or if he's really good, he can just look at it, you know, with his bare eye. And he can tell by the cut, by the clarity, by the carrot, the other, the other big thing. <laughs> he can tell just by looking at it uh, how precious, how valuable it is. And so this man, the merchant, he, he's, he's like the diamond expert. He looks at this pearl and he finds it. And, and we imagine that this man has encountered a lot of pearls in his life. I mean, he's a merchant. He's got pearls passing through all the time. But all of a sudden, one comes across his desk, and he sees it in this pile of pearls, and he picks it up. And whatever it is, this pearl is more precious, more valuable, more costly than anything he's ever encountered in his whole life. And the worth of the pearl is so great, so surprising, so dramatic... That just like the man in the field, he says, I, I got to do whatever I can to get it. And so he sells everything he has to get this pearl. And so I think what both of these pictures are saying in two different ways, maybe in a more subtle way and then, then secondly in a more, uh, in a kind of in, a way that's a little more in, intense, that it, when you come across Jesus Christ, when you stumble across the teaching about the kingdom of God, about the forgiveness of sins, about his power breaking into the world, and when you really see the king, it doesn't matter if you're an ordinary layperson or if you're an expert. It doesn't matter if, if you essentially just stumbled upon this or if you've been looking for it your whole life. You're going to be utterly captivated. That's how great, that's how worthy, that's how precious this teaching is. That's how precious this king is is and and so we have to ask ourselves i mean is that really true i mean is jesus just kind of boasting here is he just saying hey by the way in a roundabout way i'm going to tell you that i'm the most amazing thing that you'll ever encounter maybe but i think what jesus is doing here is he's doing the exact same thing um if you'll turn back um to uh to 1316, after he explained the, par- the parable of the sower, this is what he's saying to his disciples. He just explained it to them, and he said, by the way, blessed are your ears, for they see, or blessed are your eyes, for they see, and blessed are your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you're seeing right now, and they did not get to see it. They longed to hear what you're hearing right now, and they did not hear it. Jesus is saying, I think in in the same way, disciples, what you've been witnessing this whole time that you've been walking around with me is nothing less than the most incredible event that's ever happened in human history. It's something that's going to absolutely transform the entire created order. It's going to turn it inside out, and you've got a front row seat. Do you realize how valuable it is? That's what he's telling his friends. That's what he's telling this inner circle as they sit together in this room and he explains it to them. So is that really true? Is it really true that, that Jesus, this teaching, is something that people have longed for for history? Is it something that you're longing for? Is it something that, 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 that's not just valuable back then and to the disciples, but is it something that, that's valuable for us? And, and I think, I mean, really the whole Bible... <laughs> 
You can, how do you explain how wonderful Jesus is, how praiseworthy he is? I mean, we just sang songs about uh, how beautiful, how, uh, how superlative everything about him is. But I think if you want to look at the power and the worth and the value of Jesus Christ in the life of one individual, you, you look in the Bible and you can look at the Apostle Paul, for example. And whenever he speaks about the person of Jesus Christ, he uses words like glory, riches. Uh, he talks about Christ as a, as a treasure. This is just a, a quick sampling. Uh, this is from Ephesians. He says, uh, to me, even though I'm the least of the saints, God gave me this grace. And the message that I'm preaching, the message that the Apostle Paul is preaching, he says it's a message of unsearchable riches. He says that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So Paul's saying yeah, these are just some of the, the gems that are in the, the treasure chest of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins. Uh, redemption uh, through his blood. Grace. And then in Colossians, he says, in Christ, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, a treasure, it, the, the word treasure could be both something that's in a container and it can also be the container itself. You know, the word treasure, like, hey, I've, I've got this treasure. It could be the, the container, the box, uh, the treasure chest. And Paul's saying, Jesus is both the treasure chest and he's the treasure. He's the container. He's the means that God uses to pour out all of his riches on you and me. When God chooses to move into the world in grace and truth and beauty and forgiveness and righteousness, he comes wrapped in Jesus Christ. And if you get Jesus, you get all the treasure. He's saying it's unsearchable, the riches of Christ. You can try to search it out. You can try to count it. You can't count it. You, you can enjoy the riches of his grace and forgiveness your whole life, and it's never diminished. It's like drinking out of the ocean. You take a cup of water out of the ocean, you, you haven't taken anything away from it, really. You can drink your whole life from the ocean of God's kindness in Jesus Christ and never, ever diminish him. That's what the Bible says about this person, Jesus so yes, I would say he's quite valuable. <laughs> According to scripture, when you find Jesus, you've come to a fountain where peace, forgiveness, wisdom, truth, goodness, everything's there for the taking. And you can drink and drink and take all you need. It's unfathomable. It's unending. It's undiminished. And like these men in the story, like the, like the merchant, like the worker in the field, like the disciples. Jesus is calling us with these stories. He's inviting us to come and find him, to see him, to behold his beauty. So how do we do that? I mean, it was easy for the disciples. They just would look right next to him and go, there it is. There's the treasure right here. But for you and I, what do we do? Well, for us, the field that the treasure is buried in is this book. And when we read this book, when we read the words of Scripture, when we hear the words of Scripture preached, Christ, who is the crown jewel of all of God's treasure, he, he comes out. 
If you want to find the treasure, you, read his book. Go, go, go on a treasure hunt. Go, go look. Go dig it up. It's here. People look at this book. And if they don't know Jesus, they look and they just see a field. But if you know where the treasure's buried, I mean, you, you just open this up and, and you go crazy. And you see it all written out. The treasure's there in the beginning. In the Old Testament, it's there. You see the treasure in anticipation. And then the second half of the book, you see the treasure in consummation. You see it in fulfillment. And when you see it, when you see Christ as the treasure of Scripture, you start to treasure him yourself. He captures your heart. Uh, There's this wonderful story that I love uh, in uh, the Gospel of Luke which is, uh, is just so great. Uh, after Jesus rose from the dead, uh, his disciples were totally despondent. They thought, oh, okay, we, here was this person who was so valuable, it was so great, he was going to bring God's kingdom in, and now he's dead. And we're confused. We thought God was going to break in and change everything. As we have learned the last couple of weeks, that wasn't quite God's plan. That he planned for Jesus to come and, and begin something and then finish something. Uh, much later. But anyways, these, they were uh, depressed. They were despondent. And so Jesus meets kind of secretly with these men as they walk along the road. And it says that he sat down with them after they, they were talking about how depressed they were, that, that their Lord and Savior, the man that they hoped was going to bring in the kingdom of God, had died. Jesus said, well, I mean, don't you know it, it was supposed to happen like this? And they say, really? And so he sits down and he does what I think is the best Bible study in all of history with them, where it says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He showed them all the little places where the gems were buried in the field of God's word. I said, see, there it is. He's he's the true and better Moses. He's the true and better Abraham. He's the true and better Jonah. Look at all these shadows, all these things that, that, that point to him. Look, at, this is, it's Jesus all through this book. You see, he's right there at the beginning. He's, he's all the way through. And it says, as they approached the village to where they were going, uh, Jesus started to walk on and, and his disciples urged him. They said, uh, please come stay with us. Just, just eat with us. And so he ate a meal with them and then he disappeared right in front of their eyes. And this is what they said. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Weren't our hearts burning within us when he showed us where all this treasure was buried in his word? And that's the feeling. That's the feeling uh, when it says that the, the man in the field went and in his joy sold everything he had. That's because his heart was burning with the beauty of the treasure that he had found. The secret that had been hidden, and now he'd uncovered it. That, that's what it looks like. And so when we, see, when we hear Christ preach, when we read about Christ in the scriptures, it, it captures us. And when we study this book, and when, when we see him in it, it ought to move us. Because he's the crown jewel. He's the treasure. And so we have to ask, is that true for us? I mean, it seems to be true according to the Bible, but is it true for you and me? Do you know him as your treasure? Is knowing him, is is having him enough? There's this one Puritan writer who said famously, if I were to go to heaven and find that Christ was not there, I think I'd leave immediately. Because heaven without Christ would be hell to me. Could you say that? 
that if you had everything, if you had uh, wealth, prosperity, uh, health, power, popularity, but you didn't have Jesus, would you still be satisfied? The Bible says, uh, Jesus teaches that our, we can tell where our treasure is by, by where our heart is, by what moves our heart. Does Jesus move your heart when you hear about him, when you read about him? Or what moves your heart? Um, here's a question to ask. What brought you the most joy last week? What brought you the most pain? What was it? What has control over the tiller of your emotion? What can steer it in one direction or the other towards rejoicing or, or towards sorrow? And whatever that is, that, that's your treasure. And so what, what this is teaching is that Jesus is bigger. Jesus is greater. He, he's weightier than anything else. And so we see that the kingdom of God, from, from, from this passage, the kingdom of God, the king, the one in whom all the treasure is hidden, he's so valuable, he's exactly what we need, that when we really see it, we recognize it as utterly priceless. But this parable isn't merely about seeing the worth of God, right? It's about obtaining it. It's about grabbing hold of it. And so we have to ask again, what's the cost of having God for your own? What's the cost of owning this treasure? What's the cost of grabbing a hold of it? What's the cost of God, not just being a God that you admire from afar, but for God to be your God, for Jesus Christ to be your Lord, for the Lord to be your Savior, for him to be your King? And what we see here is the cost of possessing this treasure is everything we have. Because we see that not only is Christ a treasure of unparalleled value, he's also a king who requires unconditional devotion. And that's our second point. So in both cases, you can tell. They have to give everything that they have to get the prize. And it's not about a certain amount. It's not like the pearl and the treasure cost $50. Right? There's no money amount mentioned. It's just what? Same word, both times. Everything they have. And so you can imagine for the, the, the farmer, the guy just kind of out in the field, uh, just the hired hand working, everything he has, everything he has uh, might not be that much. And yet he, he puts it all on the line and he gets the field. For the merchant... This guy who is essentially like a wholesale dealer of pearls, everything he has, probably a little bit more. And yet this guy, too, puts it all on the line. And so I think what Jesus is showing us here is it's it's not about uh, an amount. It's about an attitude. It's about a a priority. It's about uh, regarding everything as completely worthless. Compared to the surpassing greatness, the surpassing worth of Jesus. And I think uh, what this means is uh, that uh, it's about giving up our control over everything that we have. That in order to really hold on to him, we have to let go of everything else. 
And, and I think the, uh, Jesus touches upon this when he, when he says in Luke 9.23 that if anyone desires to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what we were singing about in that song, the wonderful cross. That we're called to die to our whole life so that we can live to God. And uh, the illustration, you know, because when you hear this, you think, well, does that mean, are you saying, Sam, that I should just pack up everything and be a missionary to Africa or something like that? I mean, with passages like this, is that we always think that. And what I would say is I'd encourage you to instead maybe think of this picture. Are you familiar with a, a second mortgage? You know, you've got a house, you, you've, you've got something, and, and if you own it, you've got the deed to it. But if, if you need to get a little more money, what you can do is you can put a second mortgage on it. So you can give the deed of your house to the bank. And then they give you some money in return because now they own the house, even though you still kind of live in the house. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. You essentially hand the deed of your life over to God. And you say, you know what, I I might still be living this life, but I don't own my life. And so I'm putting everything that I have, all my hopes, all my dreams, all my possessions, all my passions, all my desires, and, and I'm putting it all on the table. And I come to you with open hands, having let go of everything, and, and, and what I receive in turn, I get Christ. I get, I get to belong to him. I get to be a citizen in the kingdom. And this... Uh, this isn't just some special thing that's for uh, super duper, you know, advanced Christians. This, this is the absolute basics of what it means to follow Jesus. When someone asks Jesus, hey, can you just give me like a basic summary of what God's commands are? Just give me like the main thing. Just simplify it for me, Jesus. And Jesus said, okay, here, here's what it is. The main thing is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's the basics. That's, that, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. And so he's saying, hey, if you don't put it all on the line, if you don't give up your life, you might be a fan of me, but you're not family to me. You, you might be uh, just an admirer of Jesus, but until you go back and you sell whatever you need to sell to go and buy that field and dig up that treasure, you don't own it. And this, uh, this really, if we're honest, it kind of sounds like a bad investment strategy because what we're supposed to do is you're not supposed to put everything in one pile, right? If you're at all familiar with investing, what you're supposed to do is you diversify, you know, because what you're supposed to do is you, you're supposed to hedge your bets because you don't want to, let's say, put all your money in Microsoft, which for me would not be that much money. So you're putting all your money in Microsoft, but then if Microsoft fails... You lose all your money. So what you're supposed to do is you put a little of your money in this company, a little of your money over here, a little over here, a little over here. And if you go to a financial advisor, they'll say, hey, that's a good plan. That's good investment. But when you come to Jesus, (laughs) he says, no, that's not the way it works with me. You don't put a little here, a little here. You don't put a little hope in God, a little hope in your family, a little hope in your career, a little hope in your pleasure. No, no, no. You put it all on the line and you go all in 
And you put it all in the basket that's called the kingdom of God, the hope of glory, the salvation, belonging to Jesus, forgiveness of sins. That's the basket that you put it all in. And this would be a really bad investment strategy if we didn't know for a fact that his promises never fail us. If we know that the kingdom that we're going to inherit will never be shaken. If we know that everything he says in this book is true. And so he's saying, you've got to lay it all on the line. Don't hedge your bets when you come to me. Go all in. Put it all in for me. And so the question I, I think we want to ask is, um, I mean, was it, does it sound like a sacrifice? For you, if you, if you contemplate that right now, uh, of taking it all and just, just resting all your hopes, all your dreams on Jesus. Does that sound like a sacrifice? Is that? And I would say if it does, maybe you really haven't seen him yet. Because if you look in this passage, what does it say? It says the, uh, the, the man in the field, in verse 44, in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has so he can get the field. Does it seem costly to the man? I mean, I don't know, but it doesn't look like it. It looks like he can't wait to get his hands on that treasure. It looks like he's like the Apostle Paul who says, I counted everything in my old life as garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus I used to work so hard, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3. This is one of my favorite passages. He said, I used to work so hard to earn God's love. I used to work so hard to be the best that I could be. And you know what? It's all garbage. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, not having a righteousness that is my own, but having a righteousness that comes from God, that God gives to me as a gift. A righteousness that, that it never spoils, it can never be dented or rusted, or it, it never fail. And Paul said, it's all worthless compared to knowing him. And in my joy, I left everything. Did he face a lot of suffering? Yes. Did Jesus' disciples that he was talking to face immense suffering? Yes. But if you ask them at the end of their lives, was it worth it? I think they would say, oh. It wasn't a sacrifice. I, I never thought twice about it. I'm giving everything that's failing me. <laughs> I'm giving everything that, that lets me down constantly, and I'm getting something that will never fail me. Uh, the missionary Jim Elliott said, this is on your bulletin, uh, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I think that's what this passage is talking about. Give up what you cannot keep and get what you can never lose. So how can our hearts be moved to do this? I mean, if this is what we're called to, this kind of radical, um, all-in uh, kind of priority of, of putting Jesus first, how can we be moved to do this? And, and I think we, we, we think about when Scripture says uh, what, what Jesus did. Scripture says when Jesus looked at the cross, it says for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy set before Jesus? 
Well, it was owning you. It was having you. In his joy, he left everything he had so that he could own you. And when you see that, when you know that, well, you want to give everything to the one who's given everything for you. And so I think Jesus is asking us today, will you do this? Have you done this? Are you willing to pay whatever it takes to grab a hold of me? And then for some of us who are walking with him, who have faced trials, who have faced disappointment, who have faced all kinds of things that just make us doubt his love, he's saying, are you willing to keep holding on to me? Even if it costs you. Are you willing to keep trusting me? Are you willing to not let go of me? For all of us, uh, we can ask, is there anything in our life that's keeping us from, from knowing him, from enjoying him? Will you, will you cut that out? Will you throw it away? Will you run to him? We've encountered something in, in these parables that, that if we really see it, if we really embrace it, it's going to change everything. And Jesus is saying we need to count the cost. It'll cost us everything we have, but it, but it won't be a sacrifice. He's the priceless pearl. He's the real treasure. A man is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. May it be so. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we come to you and uh, we come to your word and so often we, we don't see the treasure hidden in the field. Lord, would you give us eyes to see you? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you help us to really trust and know and rely on the love that you have for us? Lord, I pray for my friends here, Lord, that, that your word would, would do its work. Lord, that, that your grace would not be without effect. I pray that you would uh, make the words of your book alive to us. And would you make us alive to you, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.